faced Nark. After that, it was patrol, working the bars, the nightclubs, the after-hours joints, picking up the drunk Indian chicks. You could have a good time as a cop. Larry Clay did. Until he got hurt. He was beaten so badly that the first cops on the scene thought he was dead. They got him to a trauma center and the docs bailed him out. Who did it? Dope dealers, he said. Hippies. Revenge. Larry Clay was a hero, and they made him a sergeant. When he got out of the hospital, Clay stayed on the force long enough to prove that he wasn't chicken, and then he quit. Working summers, he finished law school in two years. He spent two more years in the prosecutor's office, then went into private practice. In 1972, he ran for the state senate and won. His career really took off when a gambler got in trouble with the IRS. In exchange for a little sympathy, the gambler gave the taxman a list of senior cops he'd paid off over the years. The stink wouldn't go away. The city fathers, getting nervous, looked around and found a boy with a head on his shoulders, a boy from a good family, a former cop, a lawyer, a politician. Clean up the force, they told Lawrence Duberville Clay, but don't try too hard. He did precisely what they wanted. They were properly grateful. In 1976, Lawrence Duberville Clay became the youngest chief in the department's history. He quit five years later to take an appointment as an assistant U.S. attorney general in Washington. A step backward, his brothers said. Just watch him, said the old man. And the old man was there to help. The right people, the right clubs. Money when it was needed. When the scandal hit the FBI, kickbacks in an insider trading investigation, the administration knew where to go. The boy from Phoenix had a rep. He'd cleaned up the Phoenix force and he'd clean up the FBI, but he wouldn't try too hard. At 42, Lawrence Duberville Clay was named the youngest FBI director since J. Edgar Hoover. He became the administration's point man for the war on crime. He took the FBI to the people and to the press. During a dope raid in Chicago, an AP photographer shot a portrait of a weary Lawrence Duberville Clay, his sleeves rolled above his elbows, a hollow look on his face. A huge Desert Eagle semi-automatic pistol rode in a shoulder rig under his arm. The picture made him a celebrity. Not many people remembered his early days in Phoenix, the nights spent hunting drunk Indian chicks. During those Phoenix nights, Larry Clay developed a taste for the young ones, very young ones, and some of them maybe weren't so drunk, and some of them weren't so interested in backseat tag team. But who was going to believe an Indian chick in Phoenix in the mid-sixties? Civil rights were for blacks in the South, not for Indians or Chicanos in the Southwest. Date rape wasn't even a concept, and feminism had barely come over the horizon. But the girl in the alley, she was twelve, and she was a little drunk, but not so drunk that she couldn't say no, or remember who put her in the car. She told her mother, 
Her mother stewed about it for a couple of days, then told two men she'd met at the res. The two men caught Larry Clay outside his apartment and beat the shit out of him with a genuine Louisville slugger, broke one of his legs and both arms and a whole bunch of ribs, broke his nose and some teeth. It wasn't dope dealers who beat Larry Clay. It was a couple of Indians on a comeback from a rape. Lawrence Duberville Clay never knew who they were, but he never forgot what they did to him. He had a lot of shots at Indians over the years as a prosecutor, a state senator, a police chief, an assistant U.S. attorney general. He took them all. And he didn't forget them when he became director of the FBI, the iron fist on every Indian reservation in the nation. But there were Indians with long memories, too.